he's walking, like he's walking, like he's walking, like he's walking. Hello, everyone in podcast land. We are so happy to have you uh, joining the podcast today. This is Like Trees Walking, um, the show where we talk about the big questions of life and uh, faith, uh, man and God and more. I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more, but, uh, um, you know, we've been kind of taking a detour uh, during uh, the quarantine and COVID time and uh, all that to kind of reflect on um, living faithfully uh, in the midst of the pandemic. And, and so we offer our, our, our perspective is unabashedly and unashamedly Christian, um, but we hope that you find these conversations um, edifying and interesting, no matter where you come from, what perspective you come from. And today uh, I had the opportunity to interview my really good friend, um, Jason Tucker. Jason and I went to seminary together and um, he has a really unique personal experience um, as a pastor in New Jersey. Uh, in the face of COVID, one that is really, um, I, I think you're really going to want to hear. Um, yeah, because he, he, he has an intimate personal knowledge of this disease like no one I've ever spoken to has before. So um, please listen. Uh, also, um, I bury the lead a bit in this. I don't bury the lead, actually. I bury a promised follow-up story about he serves in Red Bank, New Jersey, about why Red Bank, New Jersey is famous. And then I say, for other reasons we'll talk about later, I do that right away in the interview and then I never talk about it. So here is what it's famous for. It's the home of one Kevin Smith, who's the, you know, indie uh, director who, you know, made the Jay and Silent Bob movie and then, you know, probably most famous for the movie Clerks. And so uh, he's from there and he owns a comic book shop, which is in downtown Red Bank, which I went to once when I visited Red Bank uh, to see Jason. Um, and so, yeah, there, there it is. So without further ado, let's get to this interview. Um, it was a wide ranging conversation and it's always fun to talk to Jason. He's an excellent uh, practitioner of ministry, a good friend. And so let's get to it without further ado. Here is Jason Tucker. All right. On the, uh, on the zoom with me is my good friend, uh, uh and, uh, former seminary colleague, Jason Tucker. Jason is the, uh, he's the lead pastor. Is that your title? That's it. You're the lead pastor of the Tower Hill Church in lovely Red Bank, New Jersey, um, which is famous for a lot of reasons that we can get into, uh, or at least locally famous. And I visited Jason in Red Bank. It's a wonderful town. Um, on uh, Is it on the shore or no? It is. Yeah. We're like a mile from the, sh- from the beach. Yep. So on the Jersey shore. Um, so he, he knows all the characters. It's a cla- it's a classier shore, right? <laughs> than, than some of the other shores. It, is, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're not that Jersey shore. We're the, <laughs> we're the good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jason and I were in the same class at, uh, at Princeton, uh, seminary. Jason was, he's not like a lot older than me, but just enough that like Jason was having kids when we were in seminary. And so we, uh, his younger friends, we were all just a few years younger than him, but he was like more, uh, wizened than us, uh, in the ways of the world. And he had much more ministry experience and, uh, practical like success actually doing this stuff than us. So we looked at, we looked at, we, we he was like a peer, but like a, like a mentor peer. And we call them daddy, the daddy, because he had, <laughs> he had kids. And Cause so, I had kids. Yeah. Cause he had kids. We called it's him the creative, daddy. Was, creative nickname. Well, you know, we weren't, we weren't, <laughs> always the sharpest group but you know we, we we had fun together and so jason was my good dear friends from seminary and we spent a lot of time taking classes together and so um jason is serving in new jersey which is obviously one of the states that have been impacted um the most the worst by covid i mean you know new york and new jersey to me seem to be one and two in terms of the impact of covid so you have a very personal connection to it but i'm wondering if you could just kind of talk describe for us when coronavirus kind of and COVID came on your radar and how did you see it emerge and unfold in your state and have you seen it? Yeah, it was really interesting. So the first where I really started to think, you know, obviously I'd heard of COVID-19 from probably about December when it started to kind of get out that there was this thing going on in China and we didn't know what was going on, but oh, don't worry, it doesn't spread between humans, you know, like, yep. <laughs> like all yep. of that. And it wasn't really until February, early February, like, you know what? I, this, this, this isn't looking good. This like may actually reach our shores. And then uh, interestingly, I, I was doing a uh, church consultation trip out to Pasadena and I had to fly obviously for that. And it was the end of February that that flight took place. And, 
like a couple days before the flight, it, the fear really started to ratchet up. And when I got to the airport, there were a whole bunch of people wearing masks. Of course, I didn't have a mask because I was totally unprepared. And I'm just like, wow, this is scary. This is, this is real. This is happening. And when I came back from that trip, uh, like March 2nd or something like that, I landed in a New Jersey that was now on high alert. And it was over the next two weeks. Then there was a story of somebody in Monmouth County where we are who had it. Then there was a story of somebody in the neighboring town who was in the emergency room and family was being watched. And then, and then all of a sudden it just exploded. And it was our last public event that we did. I married a good friend, a uh, good friend of mine and his uh, lovely bride. Uh, we, we did a wedding ceremony on March 14th and it was dicey, right? It was like, we didn't know. That was Everybody like, right? kind of, yeah. <laughs> the, the NBA had like canceled at that point. I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, that's when it was like really like the dam had broken, you know? And absolutely. And we're all, we're all trying to be careful, but all of us were sort of like, should we be doing this? And, uh, <laughs> and then we had made the call like that day to say, you know what? we're not going to have in-person worship this Sunday, which was a last minute call that early in the week, we're like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll be socially distant. You know, we'll be careful, tell people to wash their hands and all that. But then it was, it was so funny how fast things were moving. By the time we got to Saturday, it, it seemed unthinkable oh my that we God. would have church in person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I remember, dude, I remember that week, like, you know, on that week on, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, I had called like a special meeting of our of our elder board and leadership team on on Wednesday night just saying like or Tuesday night we need to talk about this like and it's like okay yeah here's all the changes we're gonna make for Sunday and then it was like by the time we sent out that email on Thursday it was like already irrelevant <laughs> and like we had yeah, to go yeah. back and re yeah and then you know it's like we we wrestled so hard with this decision and then by Sunday you're like oh my gosh like if we had gone ahead and done this like yeah people would have been like what what in the world <laughs> are you thinking you know exactly and that's that's really that's kind of when when everything then shut down that monday so monday the 16th everything here shut down and then it was like it was just sort of a blur for about two or three weeks when you know hundreds then thousands then you know getting close to tens of thousands you know all within a rapid amount of time and you're i mean because you're red bank though it's in jersey it's on the shore like it's a, it's a community that's very to me the sense I've gotten is it's very connected and tied to New York city. Like a lot of people work in the city. And yeah. so you're not like, you're not a suburb of New York city, but there's a real strong connection with New, with New York and everything that's happening there. Absolutely. I, I would say a, maybe even a majority of people who would be in the young families category, one spouse works in the city, majority of them. And uh, like did, um, I mean, so when did it start like impacting people in your church or how has it impacted people in your church in the sense of like people getting sick, people knowing people? I mean, I'm just curious because um, so far for us here in um, the Twin Cities, um, it's like I know a few people, uh, you know, not too many, but a few people who've had it. Um, I know someone from college, like a good friend from college, uh, her father in Wisconsin uh, passed away, but like it, it still feels kind of distant in, in, in the sense of, or, you know, unless you're unlucky, um, it still feels like it's, it's kind of a other type of experience as opposed to right in front of your face all the time, where I'm wondering how that compares to your experience. Yeah, I think, um, I think in some ways it's hard for me to objectively answer that just because, and we could talk about this at some point too, but because I got sick the first day of lockdown. So my wife and I both showed symptoms March 16th. And so for us, it, it was, you know, couldn't be any closer to our face. Yeah. So I want to, I mean, let's just, <laughs> we were going to get to that. So let's go to that now. So first day of lockdown, March 16th, like t t talk me through that day. Like what happens? Yeah. So um, it, it was, I will say this, but kind of before I get into it, it was actually a blessing that Karen and I both had at the same time because we could compare symptoms and it was actually incredibly comforting. Um, it was also terrifying in the sense yeah. of like, okay, both of us are sick. What happens to our kids if we have to both go to the hospital? You know, like that was the oh real, the real um, 
fear. But so March 16th, we, uh, we had just done our first virtual service uh, the day before. Uh, we were not a live streaming uh, church at that point. We had been talking about it for a long time, but had been dragging our feet. Yep. And then we, we kind of pulled it off, made it happen. And it was very exciting. It felt, it felt like a, a win. And then the next day, both Karen and I were feeling really achy, unusually achy and, and kind of stiff muscles. And it, it, did, it felt like kind of the beginning of a flu. And then we're like, okay, I don't know what's going on. You feel achy? Yeah, kind of. You know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then by the time we got to Wednesday, um, we knew that we were definitely sick with a flu of some kind. And, and we kept looking at each other like, what are the odds we got the flu flu and not COVID-19? It seems like a really strange coincidence. But we weren't having any respiratory issues. It just felt like the flu at that point. Fever kicked in on Wednesday. Um, never an extremely high fever, but like 101, 102. Mm -hmm. And uh, stiff, tired, achy. It, again, it felt like the flu. And so once, by the time we got to Friday, and by the time we were getting closer to a week, then it was like, okay, it'll end or something else is going to happen, but we weren't having the respiratory symptoms. So we're thinking, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not coronavirus. And then it was that next weekend, I pre-recorded the sermon and uh, so that they could play it while I was away. Cause I, I'm like, Oh, if I'm sick, obviously I don't want to be around the people doing the live stream, but I'm also thinking I just did that wedding. I just did right at my yep. most contagious. Yes. Right. Cause they say that's when you're most contagious. So I'm having all these fears about everybody getting sick. Thankfully, nobody that I knew who I exposed in those few days ahead of time got sick, that's, which yeah. was really wonderful. But <laughs> by the time we got to that weekend, uh, then I started, we both started getting respiratory symptoms. And then at that point, Karen got better within a day or two, but I didn't. I was another week straight of worsening symptoms. And I, I thought the best thing for me was to continue to work. So I was doing a daily devotional with my congregation. I was still doing the sermons. I felt like I needed to keep myself going. And I also, and I didn't tell them because I didn't want to freak everybody out. Right. The pastor has COVID, right? <laughs> So when you say you were having respiratory symptoms, like what, what do you mean by that? So anybody who has had an asthma attack or has struggled with asthma, I had childhood asthma. So that, did I. As, yeah. as I grew yeah. up, I grew out of it. Yeah. It, it felt like that thing that happens when you take a breath in and it hurts at the top of the breath, like in your solar plexus mm -hmm. and, and it's real tight and it just kind of gets worse and worse. And the scariest thing about it was you didn't know how much worse it was going to get. And the symptoms, you know, having coronavirus is, is interesting. So first of all, we couldn't get tested right away because no tests were available unless you were in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So we, we couldn't get it at first. We got it like around, like almost when we had hit two weeks, we got it. We both tested positive. Okay. And uh, at that, by that point though, we knew we had like, yeah, yeah. it was just, we knew that there was no way uh, with the respiratory symptoms and everything. But the, the scariest thing actually was when you're fighting the virus, our experience was it's clear your body doesn't know what it's doing. It, it doesn't know what it's fighting. So it seemed like each day there was sort of a roulette wheel of symptoms that would shift or one would get worse and one would get better. And then one would come back and be worse again. And it was a very strange experience. It was like the worst flu I ever had. Never had to go to the hospital, really. I mean, we had some wonderful people, medical people in the church who, um, sorry, Siri's talking to me. That's okay. <laughs> we had some, some, some medical folks in the church who were able to, because my doctor didn't call me back. I think he was just swamped. Man. So I, I you know, oh my so gosh. we had folks in the church that helped me avoid the emergency room. So they came and brought an oximeter to see my uh, blood oxygen yeah. level and uh, what was that like what, what was your what was your blood oxygen it was good it never went below 97 okay wow so that's yeah excellent i mean that's within the margin yeah. of error basically of yeah having a hundred percent yeah you know. so so that that was like that's what kept me because one night i almost went to the emergency room and she's like wait let's just check that's the first thing they're gonna do anyway 
And then it was fine. I'm like, okay, let's ride this out. Uh huh. How, like, how scary was that experience for you? Like, personally? I, I was, I was scared. This kind of goes back. Now, you know, some of this, you may not remember at all, but Dave and I did something called CPE together. So you kind of go deep and you. <laughs> oh, we, oh and, yeah. And, For the yeah. uninitiated, Jason and I were a volunteer. We paid money, took a class in clinical <laughs> pastoral right. education to be, uh, pretend to be chaplains, learn to be chaplains for one summer at Robert right. Wood Johnson University Hospital uh, in lovely New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where Rutgers University is. And so we, um, yeah, so we were providing, we were, we were acting like chaplains and then reflecting on that experience together one summer. A, a, yeah. a, a, an infamous summer for us. Infamous, oh my gosh, that's a whole <laughs> nother podcast episode. <laughs> we um. could do a whole pod on that <laughs> <summer>. <laughs> um, But in, for me, there's an extra layer of kind of emotional baggage because uh, I lost my parents. They were young when they died. So there is a part of me that when I get sick, I have this fear come into my head. I don't, I don't want to be gone and, and my kids go through what I went through mm-hmm. from being sick. So, so I was really fighting that more than anything fighting the fear of, oh my gosh, what if, what if this is how this whole thing ends? And it may seem irrational to those on the outside, but for me, it was like, it was a real battle. And I just had to keep yeah. every day just reminding myself, faith over fear. It sounds super trite and simplistic, but I would say that every day and it really got me, it got me through. Yeah. And I think that that faith over fear has been treated like somewhat pejoratively because of course someone can abuse that, you know, and say like, well, we're just, you know, we're all going to cough in each other's mouths because faith <laughs> over fear. <laughs> and right. you know what I mean? And it's like, of course that's you gotta like, believe oh, harder. Yeah. You didn't believe strong enough. And that's why you got COVID, you know? And it's like, of course that's ridiculous. But I mean, ultimately, you know, here you are facing something that a, a, a novel respiratory disease that is, you know, is deadly. It's like, well, you can tell yourself, Oh, it, you know, disproportionately kills older people, but like, sorry, I don't want to play Russian roulette with a one out of 500 or one out of yeah. 1000 gun, you know, like, yeah. and so, but to go like all, you know, what the, uh, you know, what Heidelberg yeah, catechism, you know, what's my only comfort in life and in debt and in death and yeah. I'm not my own, you know, um, like that is faith over fear right there. Um, and to just say like, I trust God in this, no matter what's going to happen to me, I have to trust God in the midst of this. And that's faith yeah. over fear to me, you know, yeah, um, for sure. And so hanging on to these little, I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, helpful, I think, to say, like, even this thing that seems like trite things are, are actually useful, simple things that we can um, kind of these mantras or things we can repeat to ourselves can be really empowering. Um, yeah, it was an anchor in situation. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, I mean, it's, it's, it's feeling bad. You're not feeling good. I mean, yeah. And you just have this fear of you don't want, you're, you don't want to leave your kids and, and your wife, like in the same situation that you did. I mean, also it's like, I mean, here you are, like you've had a great run of ministry at Tower Hill and professionally, you've been able to do a lot of things. I mean, get your doctor of ministry, go start a podcast, go into consulting. I mean, here's all these kind of like adventures that you're, that you're engaged in. And I can imagine too, the thought of like, wow, well now all these things that I really love and enjoy, like I'm potentially like kind of unfinished business almost yeah. too, you know? Uh, totally. Totally. Th- those all, all those thoughts raced across my mind for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And trying and not so, to freak my kids out either. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, were they, yeah. I mean, how was like, cause Karen got better. So, uh, faster. And so yeah. obviously she probably kind of moved into the caretaker role. Um, and so like, what was your, what were you doing with your kids? Like, were you staying away from them? How, what was that like? Yeah. Once, once we were sick and we kind of knew what was going on, we, we were trying to distance, but I mean, listen, we live in a small house. There's no way both of us sick. There's no way they weren't exposed. And thankfully they did not get sick. So mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what, whenever the antibody tests are a little more available. Yeah. When they work too, you yeah. know, to see what, how they test because um, there's no way they weren't exposed. And so you, um, when did you really kind of turn the corner in terms of being like, okay, I, I, I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm, 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 I'm healing. Yeah. It really wasn't until towards the end because um, 
the symptoms, the respiratory symptoms didn't just fade. I, I mean, they did, but like I had to wait for the fever to stop. The fever went on for two weeks straight. Wow. And so that's when it felt like, is this ever going to end? You know, um, they're going to get past this fever. And then once the fever broke and I went a day without taking any fever reducing medication and it was fine, then I knew, okay, this is it. I'm coming back down. So it was and, two weeks. Yeah. And then, I mean, was it like, was it one morning you woke up or was it during the day? When did the fever break? Yeah. So uh, it, it was, I woke up in the morning and I, and I knew that you just feel like I didn't have a yeah. fever. And it was like, okay, this is good. <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet relief. And throughout this, you know, you hadn't told your congregation in general. Obviously, there was the medical folks in your congregation who knew. But besides yeah. that, um, and did your like, did your staff know? Like, who who was kind of in the loop in terms of knowing that you were going through this? Yeah, I told them. I told the staff the soonest, but I didn't tell them until well into the second week. Um. Cause I, you know, they need to know obviously why I wasn't going to come in and do the live stream and why I wasn't, you know, going to do these things. And, um, and I limited that to our leadership team at, at first, which is our kind of director level positions. And just so they knew what was going on. And then I knew that then the second week, or like actually it was the third Sunday when I was on the men's, um, according to CDC guidelines, I was cleared. And, uh, and then when I came back to start live streaming again, I then I told publicly, yeah, Karen and I both had COVID-19 and we're better. And, um, and, you know, what's interesting about that, the reason why I felt like I needed to share it was all the news at that time was it felt like COVID-19 was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't hearing any stories of people getting better. It was just, a very scary time. And so I just felt like the congregation needed to hear. We had it. We recovered. We're moving on, you know, hang in there, everyone. We're all going to get through this. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, and how like, so you've experienced it, obviously, like in the most personal way possible by having it and having your wife have it, like in the rest of your congregation. I mean, has this decimated your congregation? It, it, you know, ha has, have, have you avoided some of the worst? I'm just interested in your experience in, in pastoring. Cause I have another colleague uh, who's in the Bronx and like his congregation just got ravaged. I mean, just, yeah. you know, multiple funerals, you know, I mean, I forget close to a dozen aff affiliated with the congregation. I'm sure that's not congregants, but you know, they lost multiple people from the church. And, and I'm just wondering what your experience has been like. Yeah, we have not been, praise God, we have not been decimated by the virus. I think we had a lot of folks who hunkered down early mm -hmm. and were able to avoid infection. I think generally in our area, people have done a really great job of abiding by social distancing and, you know, the quarantine, just really just doing a, people are being pretty responsible. And there's always, you know, there's always, yeah. some, you know, kind of knuckleheads, but but, you know, with all of that, I, I think it's fine. You know, I do, I do have my first COVID-related funeral, virtual funeral happening this week. Wow, yeah. Um, There's some other people that I knew got sick, but they got better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it hasn't been, for us, it hasn't been like a huge impact on the congregation, which is great. I think on the flip side of that, because it wasn't a big impact, you do have sort of like your quick reopeners, who want to get started right away and are kind of hounding you, you know, hounding me or even last Sunday uh, in the middle of the live stream, there's a couple of people like, wait, I thought we were open again today. After the president said <laughs> oh that God. we were you know, like, <laughs> no. like, he like, ordered, <laughs> he, he just ordered, he ordered us reopen. So we have to obey this yeah, order. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. and I can imagine that, especially, uh, you know, and I don't know how it's impacted New Jersey specifically, like, cause we hear so much about New York city and, especially the outer boroughs um, seems like, seems like uh, Manhattan, like a lot of people got out of Dodge, you know, half yeah. the city or something pieced out. And then, you know, for why New York got hit, I mean, there's probably 10 different reasons, but one of them seemed to like, you know, people were continuing on the subways and like, boom, you know, it just spread really widely. And then you get into pockets of poverty and there's just a lot of underlying like health conditions that go along with that. And so almost like a perfect storm, of all these yeah. factors adding up 
Um, and like in Minnesota so far, it's really been uh, 80, almost 82 percent, uh, 81 or 82 percent of our deaths have been from assisted living or congregate care facilities. It's just, you know, that's yeah. where it's just been an absolute bear and a beast, you know, in terms of how it's impacted people. And that's actually like, it's kind of known news, but that's not that ha like you kind of have to dig just a little bit beneath the surface. That's actually not how it's being talked about or reported in that yeah. this has really been a, um, it's, uh, you know, I think cause they want to avoid the sense that it's not a, everyone's problem or everyone's issue, but like, it's really in terms of the, 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 the death and the dying, it's been so much, in those settings that's more than i've heard of in, in any state to be honest with you because i i was hearing oh it's so bad in connecticut or in new jersey even you know we, we heard about um the one uh i think it was the one facility where like, they showed up and there was just like you know all those bodies or whatever oh my um, gosh and yeah in like rental trucks and stuff like yeah it's like is this is just crazy and uh you, you know um but minnesota i think we've been i haven't heard of anywhere worse than us in terms of 80 80 percent of deaths coming from those situations. So it's really, um, yeah, I mean, for, for us here, it's been, it's, it's, it's felt, uh, I mean, in, and we live, we're in the city itself. So like, um, and Hennepin County, the county we're in is the most populous county by far in the state. And so, you know, people, it feels like people are being, taking it seriously and wearing masks. And not like uh, Lake of the Ozarks. It ain't <laughs> like Lake of the Ozarks. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> What's happening? Know, this is, is this real life? <laughs> <laughs> but they kind of harken back to that one, um, you know, that one like spring, spring breakers, like in Florida who were like, if I get Corona, I get Corona. It's like, all right, we like just fast forward two months. And, and it is, I mean, you know, so it's interesting for us too, like as, as pastors, you know, here you are in a state that's been really hard hit. A Minnesota hasn't been as hard hit, you know, per capita in any, by any stretch of the imagination, but still like we're not, um, there's this sense here that we're kind of stuck in. We haven't seen like a drop off, a sharp drop off, like our hospitalizations are still increasing. Um, and ICU is increasing. Um, and so like, we're not, we're not out of it. And so what is, again, that reopening question, um, which is maybe another uh, podcast, but yeah, how do you um, like, and no one's been hounding me, you know, let's reopen or anything like that. But there is that live, it's that live question that's sitting out there. Um, and how do we learn? I think also that question too, of how do we learn to live with the virus with an elevated level of risk present in our society and also saying like, yep. And we can't, um, kind of the you know the real conversation there's all obviously always the extremes which are lock everything down forever perpetually you know till there's a a cure or a treatment or a vaccine which we don't <laughs> there ain't no promises on that you know like i i have a lot of hope but there's no promises and then the people and then the people are like you know what we just gotta like just let it let her rip you know obviously those are extremes but i think 99 percent of people are i mean close to that are hey I don't, I don't want to get this. I want to, I want to be responsible. And I recognize that this isn't a sustainable pattern and rhythm of life. And so how do we, um, I mean, the wisdom to live into that is kind of the, I think that, I guess the challenge for us as church leaders is how do we, how do we discern wisely what the best course of action is over the next few months, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the big challenge, right? That's what everybody's trying to figure out. And, and, you know, how much, how much work is worth it to do some sort of heavily altered physical gathering with it maybe just be a horrible experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not singing songs, right? You're wearing We're gonna wear masks. masks and sit six feet apart. And yeah. And oh yeah, probably only like 20% of the people are going to come back during that time. And you're going to put in all these, all this work, you're going to spend all this time and money and energy to create the safest experience possible. And honestly, it probably would have been better if they would have stayed home and watched us on online, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, you know, I don't know, like that's where it, that's where it's really, that's where it's really hard. Um, cause there is like, cause the online thing, it pushed us, certainly pushed us towards online cause we had no not much to speak of you know we had a good website but like uh i mean we did not 
stream any content at all or produce much at all. We had we actually done a capital campaign, so that had kind of forced us to to up our. We did a lot more of that for, but then all of a sudden it's like, well, we need to stream a service. Like, and thank God we we had a guy in the congregation who that's like his that was his profession, so he was able to help us pivot like on a dime. That's but awesome. man, that just like moving from nothing to like now everything <laughs> online. Yeah. Um, that was exhausting. Yeah. That amount of work. And so I can't imagine for you, like, how did you have the energy to lead your church? while whilst battling COVID-19, like, how did you do that? I, I really have no answer other than like the Lord and adrenaline. I don't, you yeah. know, like it was, it just felt like we have to do this. So let's do it. And, you know, we, we were we remotely working anyway. So, and I wasn't, I wasn't so laid up that I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was, I was fairly functional. Um, but I don't know, you just, we just kind of kept going, you know, I'm like, well, there's really nobody who could step in and just kind of do it. So yeah, I just did it. Did you, did you, um, kind of after going through the crisis and the adrenaline is carrying you and all that, did you ever hit a, a wall or a point of crash or uh, d- did that ever happen to you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I would say it, it was fairly recently. It was, I'm just looking at my calendar. It was like end of April where I was just like, I, I don't, I don't have anything left. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was just a total crash. And so I just kind of regrouped. I put off any forward movement for, you know, for that week, I was just like, you know what, let me just kind of recenter, spend some time outside, do a couple of campfires with my kids and just, just chill because there's no reason I don't need to, first of all, I don't need to over function. Mm -hmm. That's not good either. Mm -hmm. And I need to allow myself the right kind of time to just reset. Otherwise I'm going to be no good for anybody. Um, and even even now, I mean, just this last week, we made a big shift in our uh, online worship because we're all feeling just totally fried from Zoom and, you know, all the ways that we're living life and we're seeing it in our people. So our online engagement had dropped a lot from Mother's Day on. And we knew it's like the weather's getting more. People are feeling like they could go outside and they're sick of sitting and staring at a screen and like, so we radically adjusted our service. We cut it in half the time. Yep. Ooh, Jason, I lost you for just a sec here. Then they, they get right to it. They can, we do a little music afterwards and it felt like it was the right move for us and for our people to just be responsive in that way. And then I've been doing a devotional uh, ever since the, the lockdown started and I'm going to end that here. Uh, mm-hmm. this next week so you I, uh, like I just can't do it yeah yeah no you and you cut out for one second so you cut the service in half just because of the sense of like i'm assuming it was probably fairly similar to what you were doing when you were in person um, same thing exactly is, yeah i mean ours is the exact same thing and and we're thinking too i mean we have to no matter what like part of gathering back together is going to be shortening it which i mean for a kind of like might be a blessing in the sense of, I mean, like there was some, I think, value to this doing the same thing kind of in a time of great uncertainty, like the ritual and routine of not like just abruptly shifting that right away yeah. seemed to, I think, offer value. But obviously, um, yeah, do you have to do the exact same thing when no one's physically present? Like what do you, what, what, what matters the most, yeah. um, you know, to keep, to keep doing yeah, we felt the same way. It seemed like whatever that first season of lockdown was is no longer that. Whatever we're yeah. in now is a different season. So we've just been reevaluating everything that we're doing to just see what's the most effective thing we could do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's the summer too. So that's, I'm sure for y'all, like we, it, it's always felt chiller for us. It's, it hasn't like been a huge dip in terms of uh, like attendance or anything for us over the years typically, but it has been a, a dip in terms of the sense of like the, the, the vibe in Minnesota during the summer is such, yeah. and I'm sure it's that same way on the shore when school's out, it's like your programming dials back, like the level of intensity kind of dials back. And so that's also a gift too. Uh, I think that 
even though we're entering, like we're entering this time where maybe reopening can make sense. Uh, it's not, to me, just the, the summer vibe lends a lot. There's a lot less like, it's not like the fall uh, is yeah. right there where there's that strong re-engagement. So you kind of, we kind of have the advantage of the flow, ebb and flow of the year kind of playing into us not having as much stress at the moment and being able to change things. But I, I wonder too, I mean, cause you're a, you know, your, your like passion is church revitalization and redevelopment. And so, you know, here we are, the church is entering into a reality that we never thought we would be living into forced, um, forced into new ways of doing, uh, being and doing church. So like, what is your, like, what, what are your learnings right now? Um, you know, being you wired, how you're wired, you're passionate about what you're passionate about and you're leading a congregation through change without losing your roots. And you're also, but you're also like, because you're doing consulting and stuff, like you're not just thinking about your own church's experience. You're also thinking about the broader church in this time too. So I'm, I'm curious, like what's, what's the one or two things that you've really like learned in this time or are like interested in exploring as we go forward? Yeah. So that, that's a good question. I, I think the biggest thing is it's actually the same. So when you learn consulting, you learn how to lead congregations through a process. Mm-hmm. And if you do it well, the congregation discovers its own solutions and works on them together. So you're really, your job is to point to where you see God kind of leading and get them to a point where you don't have to point anymore. They see it. They know what to do. You know, they, they can make it happen, make the changes necessary. The biggest thing that's changed now is urgency. Um, You know, the crisis of the pandemic has just, has just raised the urgency to the point that actually I think it always should be for churches. Like, like there may not be a tomorrow. What, what, how do we be faithful today? Cause really the big question of church revitalization is all around. Um, who are we trying to reach? Why are we not reaching them? And how do we get to know them in such a way that we know what they care about most? What are their pain points? What are the things, how do they view Christianity? How do they view the world? How do they view, what are the different lenses they view things? And then how do we bring the gospel to bear for them in a language that they understand. I mean, it's, it's really the, the whole uh, Acts chapter two, you know, day of Pentecost, the very first gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of translation. So mm-hmm. we heard the wonders of God in our own tongues. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's like the foundational call of the church. I think it's a reason that was the first gift that we had to speak the wonders of God in the language of the people. And so c- consulting helps churches to really be honest about where they are to accurately assess the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. and then take some action forward. And really what this does, the, the whole thing that makes a revitalization work is urgency. And you've, ne- and we've never seen urgency like we're seeing it now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, if we don't do something, we're not going to make it. You can't just ride this out. And I know there are churches who are doing that and I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to fare well for them. I'd be really surprised if it, if it does, unless yeah. they have just, millions of dollars and they could ride this out forever, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. No. And it's a, I, I mean, it's a, it's a refining season, I guess. Um, and, and I mean, I do worry like, cause you think about how the indefinite nature of what's happening. Um, yeah. I, I think it's probably one of the challenges for me personally is like, when do like, I get to stop, not return to normal. I think very few people are so naive. Like I do think, I mean, I do think we'll get back to normal, quote unquote, normal at some point, because I mean, like there were world wars and Hiroshima and Nagasaki and like countries, countries that have been ravaged by civil war for decades and then emerged from them. And so like, I mean, Rwanda, for gosh sakes, like, like people still live there, even though there was a horrific (laughs) genocide 25 years ago there. And so I'm not so like uh, histrionic to think that this pandemic, though it's going to be severely disruptive and has been that like the world will, it's going to shift the world, but not like fundamentally change everything always. I don't think that'll happen, but I do think that there's just going to be who doesn't sort of make it out on the other side. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think about that in terms of the church, like d- how, how does this accelerate trends that were already happening or exacerbate things that were happening already? Um, you know, that's probably gonna, it's probably going to be an accelerator for, 
some of the the shifts we were seeing beforehand, you know? I, I think that's right on. I, I think really what this is doing is churches are catching up with every other part of life mm-hmm. and how people experience the world. I mean, they experience the world through sort of like a hybrid between digital and physical engagement. Yep. You know, I, I sign my kids up for rec sports. I go onto a website, I pay a payment online. I hear about yep. who their coach is electronically, where to go, where to meet. And then we physically go and meet there. It's, but it's seamless. It's integrated. And I think church is moving toward a model that's a lot more integrated in that way between digital and physical. And I, I think that we're going to see that as a big result of the pandemic. But I think you're right. I mean, cause people are just like, we're never going to hug and handshake again. I, I, yeah, we are. like we will and we should um but you know it's gonna take a while yep it's gonna take it's gonna take time and it's gonna be weird and you know hopefully then in in five years we're going god remember like remember covid and like how you know i mean just think about 9 11 those types of events like where it's like man wow that was really crazy and it's shifted life in so many ways um but the, the 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 kind of um in in ways that are now just we kind of take for granted yeah i gotta walk through a long security line you know yeah I like getting on an airplane is a pain um you know yeah the government can like you know they'll be spying on me probably but like you know it's sort of in ways that are minimally disruptive um for daily life and, and i think eventually um, we'll reach there but it's hard to know what that looks like because i i do think this is going to be a i mean this is the challenge for us as as the church and as leaders for the foreseeable future is, is ministering in a time of a pandemic. And this is not just, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, And I don't want to miss the opportunity to speak into people's lives. It's like, it's like nine 11. If you remember all the churches swelled after nine. Oh yeah. There was a attendance. I mean, if you look at all the attendance charts over time, there's the one year where it's like, (laughs) September, it's September 11th. Yeah. People came and I know the church, the church I was in, the church I was in at the time, I was a youth director and the pastor who I love very much missed it. I mean, just missed it. He, he didn't even address 9-11 the Sunday after it happened because wow. his reasoning was he didn't, he just didn't want to, he wanted to focus on God and not spend all this time that everybody was already thinking about. I, it was, I mean, it's the wrong move, but I understood why he was doing that. He's like, the world goes on, God, relationship with God goes on, we keep worshiping God, and I think that's why he did it, but, but he missed it, and we saw, you know, all these people who were there waiting to hear a word from the Lord about what had just happened, then just never came back, Yeah. and, you know, I just don't want to preside over that kind of right. accident or mistake. Right. Uh, yeah, because, it, and it's a, I mean, people are, like, t- streaming, I mean, people are in, at least, like, willing to check out what the church is offering right now um in a way you know and maybe that that probably the widest window was right after everything shut down um but this is going to be a new way i think where people um at least check out our congregations you know um as before it'd be visit the website then come in person maybe now it's going to be uh stream part of a service or something like that i i think you're right on and so that's why i'm just like dang we better make it good yeah. And that's, that's the part where I get stuck, right? Because you don't want it to be about consumerism, but on yeah. some level, it always has been. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it, just it, magnified <laughs> by the... Well, people walk in and they go, do I like this or not? And that's a, a you could call that a consumerist, a consumeristic choice because that's the way we choose everything. Like, do I like this restaurant or not? Like, do I like the ambiance and the food and the service? You come to a church, you go, people come in and be, we're being real honest. They go, well, do I like the build? Like, do I like the building? Does the vibe seem good? Are the people cool? Like, is the music good? Is the preaching good? Is the children, do they have things to offer for my family or me? Like, and that's, I, I think it's church shopping is a dirty term, but it's truthful. It's the yeah. truth is sometimes dirty that, that it's not purely consumeristic. Like people aren't always looking for the, the best. Um, but they're looking for something that's good enough for them and kind of meets their core needs. And in some ways, I think it's easy because, you know, I'm in a smaller church, like uh, we're not tiny, but there's ways that you can be snobbish against a mega church and go, well, that's consumeristic and we're not. But like the yeah. bespoke, like the bespoke little boutique coffee shop, that's just as much <laughs> consumerism as Starbucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's like the two Spider-Man, the meme of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. You know? it's like <laughs> that's right. Consu- yeah. Consumerism. And so 
just being like what we are, we are not selling a product, you know, um, but we are like, we are engaging with people who come with preferences, desires, wants, biases, all these things. And, and we just have to be realistic about that. Like you could have the best, uh, you know, the most theologically rich content, you know, best music, all that kind of stuff. But if, if you're in like a, like a, a like cave with like spider webs, people be like, that place creep me out. You know what I mean? And that's not consumeristic <laughs> just to name that and be like, we want to move any unnecessary stumbling blocks yeah. um, to people being able to experience God and to hear his message for them in that way. I, I think it's wild too, how this whole thing has shifted kind of like ecclesiology yeah. people's understanding of ecclesiology, right? It, it's forced us to, like, you just simply, if, if your whole ecclesiology is, it it's only counts as worship when we're all in the same room. I mean, <laughs> oh, well, like, yeah. And, and the, I mean, you know, in the Presbyterian church, like the, 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 the language of the advice about in digital communion at first, it was like, not, you're not taking digital elements, but just the notion that you could take distance communion at first yeah. it was like, no, 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 no. And then I was like, well, okay. Yeah. Like now, <laughs> now you can. And like, Oh, your, your business meetings, you know, if they're over, if they're virtual, that doesn't count. And I was like, well, yeah. uh, now they have to. And so, yeah, necessity is the mother of innovation because otherwise yeah. be like, well, we can't actually meet and can conduct any business for months on end. If we can't, um, if we can't supplement what we do at least with, uh, with with the technology and i found actually that zoom meetings for some things zoom meetings are so much better and much more efficient than getting everyone in a room together now i still want to get people in a room together but i I can augment that a lot more with the with the technology and it's like man it makes going to a meeting so much less annoying or adding something you know we have like a covid task force and it's like if we can meet every other week for an hour but we don't have to all get together it just makes it we can sit at home and that makes it so much more doable so that's, I've seen those things where it's like, okay, I can see where this technology is. We're continuing this into the future. Like this is just the new normal um, yeah. for, our, for our congregation. Yeah. And it's be so good. Well. It's going to be good for those people in your church who like never went to a meeting they didn't love. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they just love meetings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, let's have a meeting. Um, why? <laughs> so and, I do think this will help that. And I think too, like older people have been really, they're, 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 they're some of the people we were worried most about and they've been super adaptive in terms of picking up new technology. And so it's not like a, it's not a generational thing always at all. And I think probably the fact that we should have seen this before, the fact that Facebook was kind of for like older people before, um, <laughs> they seemed, they appeared to be the most active on that. Like, um, and that's maybe what made it a less appealing platform um, for someone like me. Totally. It's like, you know, uh, like these uh, boomer memes that I'd see floating around. Like, uh, <laughs> like that is not surprising that people who are baby boomers who are now in their 70s, um, like that they're very engaged and, and on, the pivot to online was not difficult at all for the yeah. vast majority of the folks in my congregation. Do you think would be like maybe resistant or, you know, it's not like the jitterbug phone or whatever. Each <laughs> button's like the size of, you know, home, home plate, you know, like yeah, it's, exactly. it's huge. <laughs> I think that's how we sometimes stereotype older folks like in, in, um, in put to kind of pigeonhole them. It's like in the movie, dumb and dumber. Or the old, like, and he's like old people. Well, <laughs> like, well, dangerous driving like can be useful. It's like, you know, just those bad stereotypes about them. So, um, so it's been, yeah, it's, it's been a really, I mean, yeah, I think for us, like when we think about our ministry and like serving the church, this is going to be just one of those, it'll be one of those absolute like moments of, we'll never forget this, like ministering in this time the same way that for folks ministering, you know, senior ministers on 9-11, that kind of thing, like this is like, this is our crisis time to you know to serve god in a context in which we never ever thought like we never thought we were gonna have to deal with this you know ever but i think that's where pastors need to be gracious with themselves Mm -hmm. because you know people are asking me all sorts of questions i'm I'm like i don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean Mm -hmm. i I really i've never been through this before but there are times seasons where over the last couple of weeks i'm just like man i don't know what we're gonna do 
and, and I'd sort of get down on myself for like, let's go if you got to figure this out. I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Just nobody knows what they're going to do. <laughs> exactly. And that's like the, that's the best, the best learning starts when you're like, I, I need to, I should have an answer for this or I need to figure out an answer to this. But right now I don't know what the answer is. And, yeah. uh, but I do think when we kind of position ourselves as we're always the voice of authority or the teacher or the influencer, it's uncomfortable to not have answers, you know, yeah. and, and, and we can feel kind of bad when it seems like other people are better at, at pushing those out beforehand. But, um, you know, I think that's a, I don't think that's a, I think that's a virtue to be comfortable with the, I know, with the, I don't know. And I, and I think a lot of people are, I think our people are in that place of, I don't know what is school look like? What does work look like for you? What does Christmas look like for you? What does your trip look like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So we're exactly where our, where our congregations are right now too, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. This has been, this has been great. And it's been really fun for me to talk shop with you. I always love it. Jason um, and another good friend of mine, Jesse Skiffington, they host a podcast called the reclaimed leader. Um, which is all about leading, you know, congregational and organizational transformation um, while remaining rooted in the things that are important. Um, leading change without losing your roots. Is that the tagline? Did I get that? That's it. That's it. Yep. Leading change without losing your roots. So the reclaimed leader, you can find that podcast wherever fine podcasts are found. And uh, Jason also, um, you know, is a, is an author, is a, uh, you know, is a, is a, is a coach. Is it jasontucker.com? Uh, it's actually uh the best way to follow me is, is to go to reclaimleader.com. JasonTucker.faith, because there's another Jason Tucker. Shoot. Uh, how dare he? Um, uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, my personal website, it's pretty dated. Like I just, <laughs> I just have kind of <laughs> I, neglected it. I, I, I nabbed davidbergie.com and I just parked something there. So, you know, <laughs> good, so no good. nefarious person could get it. But, uh, but reclaimleader.com? Is yeah, it the yeah, reclaimed leader way. or reclaimed leader? Just reclaimed leader. Yep. And the, the whole idea of that is like, um, like you're building a reclaimed wood piece of furniture. It's, it's taking something that has been around a long time, but making it new. And I think beautiful and usable for today. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I see the church. That's the idea behind the reclaimed leader. For sure. And yeah, you and Jesse, you know, are uh, talking like you guys are really processing this in a very, uh, you know, granular way, like working through ministering in this time. So it's, it's really interesting for me as a practitioner. Uh, to listen to as well. So thank you, Jason, for your time. You're welcome. This is really so interesting. Glad. Dude, this is awesome. And I'm so glad that you and Karen are over it. And I mean, you have like a superpower now. I know. I know. It, although it's so funny because like right after we got better, they're like, yeah, you might not be immune. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> if you just killing me. Again, I know. Like if you just get it again, that's just terrible. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I, but hopefully I'm playing the odds. So that's right. No, you're, you're good. So I'm so glad that you're, yeah, that you made it through and thanks for sharing this story with, with our audience. I really, really appreciate it. So you, you got it. I'll talk to you soon. And uh, yeah, this has been another uh, special quarantine edition, COVID-19 edition of like trees walking.